What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just stepped inside my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming related decree. This week, it's all about my first impressions of Final Fantasy 16. So let's talk about it and dive right into the episode with my catch of the week. Gamers, it's finally here. Final Fantasy 16 has officially released, and I am here just a few days later to share with you my initial first impressions of the game. Now, if you've been following my show, you'll know that I, at different points throughout the course of the year, have had Final Fantasy 16 pegged as my most anticipated game of the year. It definitely was, in the first half of the year, my most anticipated game. So we're finally here, and I have so many things that I want to share with you. A ton of positive things. Obviously, you got the good with the bad, so I do have some negative things that have stood out to me that I want to share with you as well. Always trying to be objective here. So to start off with, it's obviously got to be where my journey with Final Fantasy began, and that is all the way back. Christmas in 98 was when I got my original PlayStation console. And in the following year, I was finally introduced to Final Fantasy as a series. I had known of Final Fantasy, just never actually played any of the games. So the first one that I actually played was Final Fantasy VII. For a lot of us, Final Fantasy VII was the, the entry in the series that really drew us in and had us fall in love with it. So it was no different for me. Final Fantasy VIII came out in 99, absolutely loved it, and then Every Final Fantasy since then, so on and so forth, except for the online-only titles of 11 and 14, which i got to admit, it still bugs me that they have a number on the online-only games. I don't think that they should be numbering the online-only games. Just call it Final Fantasy Online. But either, neither here nor there. Bottom line, we get to the point where Final Fantasy is ultimately one of my favorite franchises games. I have loved this series for 25 years almost now. And I just, I love how every entry is a reinvention of the past entry. It's something completely different than what you played in the previous game. So that's no different with Final Fantasy 16. And as I go into my discussion of what my impressions are of the game, let me just first start off by saying that I was able to put about 15 hours up to this point in Final Fantasy 16. So I've progressed according to the progress tracker on the PS5 to 33% complete with the story, the main storyline. That progress tracker on the PS5 is specific to the main storyline of a game that you're playing. So I'm about a third of the way through the main story. And honestly, at this point, I feel like it's really starting to open up the game world and things like that, which I'll get into here in just a few moments. But in that 15 hours, man, there is so much to talk about. The first thing I want to talk about, though, is the story. This game's story, and honestly, it's one of the major factors of every Final Fantasy game, of course, is its story. Some have been better than others. Some I've absolutely loved. Others I've been kind of eh on their stories. Well, Final Fantasy 16, from the absolute beginning, just has gripped me by the throat, held me up against the wall, and has not let go since the game started. I cannot get enough of this story. 
It's characters, Clive, who is the main protagonist of this game. I just, I think he's an awesome character. I immediately identified with him, related to him. His character and his character arc and story resonated with me and has continued to stick with me throughout the course of my 15 hours so far. So I absolutely love him as a character and as the main protagonist here. The other characters that have joined the party so far over the course of the game, I still, Sid, uh, obviously recurring Final Fantasy character in every game. Different interpretation of the name, but every time it's there's always going to be a Sid in every Final Fantasy. Well, he's an awesome character. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed his acquaintance throughout the course of my play. Jill is a great character as well. Just a ton of great complimentary characters to Clive. And obviously, I can't forget to mention Torgal, who is his uh, almost kind of like an Alaskan husky looking dog that is just awesome to have as a partner in combat. So you have an amazing story, amazing characters, and the story is very Game of Thrones-esque. I mean, there's just things that happen. And let me just put this out there. Most Final Fantasy games, if not all of them up to this point, if I'm not mistaken, have been rated T for teen. This is not the case with this Final Fantasy. It is definitely a very mature story. There's, uh, you know... F-bombs and sex and blood and gore. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of stuff going on in here. And so therefore, you tie all that together and just the betrayals and all the kind of political aspects of what's going on in this game's world. It's just so very similar in style to Game of Thrones. And that's not a discredit to what's going on in Final Fantasy 16. It's not a complete knockoff or a carbon copy. I'm not saying that either. But just the... The way that I am riveted by the story, and I love seeing certain characters, antagonists, protagonists, that's the other piece of it. The antagonists in this game are great. There's Benedicta, who is a, a very fierce woman that, over the course of the time that I've played, has been a thorn and Clive and his party's side. There is also just so many other characters that are kings or people of power and place that are just doing so many different things. It's awesome. I, I don't want to go into too much detail because obviously I don't want to spoil the specifics of the story. But let me just say the basic premise in this world, what I've loved about what Square Enix has done, is they have put so much thought and detail into the lore and into the just the richness of this world, of its characters, of its political system, of the history that is there. And there is an active lore option for you. It's a new feature for this game that I hope that a lot of games in the future pick up. You can actually press and hold in the touchpad at any point in the game. And it'll bring up a screen where anything that is in that area that you're in, character, location, political standing, all those different things you can have as options that'll pop up and you can read them and it'll give you the lore and description and backstory or history of whatever it is that you're looking at. So I absolutely love that. It kind of gives context to the areas that you're in, the characters that you meet, and, a, and a, just a better understanding of what all is going on in this world, why certain groups of people are the way they are, why they react to Clive and other bearers the way that they do. So that's one thing I love about this is all the different titles that Square Enix gives to all these different things going on. So bearers are people who are attuned to magic. They can use magic without crystals. A branded is somebody who the imperial government basically has taken as a baby and because they were basically testing them almost like Jedi and 
looking for kids who were force uh, sensitive. It's a similar situation here where the government takes these kids and brands them on the face with a tattoo. And basically is where the name branded comes from so that anybody, anywhere they go can identify these people as bearers or branded as they can also be called. Now, one thing I love about it is there are icons, which we've talked about and seen in previews. If you have looked at trailers or seen gameplay overviews for the game, icons are basically the summon monsters from the previous games. And they're just done in such a different, unique way in this game. They are essentially passed down through specific bloodlines. Each one like Ifrit and Shiva and Bahamut and Odin, all these different types of icons. There are one dominant person in each bloodline at a given time that can control these icons. The icon will select this person to be its dominant. And basically at any given point, they can transform into the full massive Titan or giant version of these icons and wage just crazy battles and cause all kind of chaos if they really wanted to. So having all this rich history and lore there, I've just absolutely fallen in love with it. I can't get enough. Every morsel of history and lore and information, I'm just eating it up. If you can't tell my excitement, oh man. And then to add to that, there is a basically a hub where you go back to called the Hide Hideaway. It's Sid's hideout in these cavern systems. And essentially there, there is a, a bookkeeper called Hippocrates, but he's better known by his nickname as Tomes because he spends all of his days around tomes and books and writing down history and information. And this, you can actually go to him. And if you don't pick up on, in the moment, the active lore or different things as you're in new environments and new characters, bestiary, that kind of thing, all of that information is stored right there for him. So every time Clive goes back to him and talks to him, there's these really cool 8-bit sprites of your characters. And they'll talk to each other and you'll have the 8-bit Final Fantasy sound effects. And you basically level up your readership, if you will, uh, or your historian level as you bring him new information in between adventuring outside of the, the hide hideaway. And I just love it. I literally sat there... The first time I got to Tomes, I sat there and spent probably a half hour, just a half hour straight reading the lore and the history, just losing myself to this world. Every time I sit down to play it, I just get enraptured with what I'm doing, and I can't tell you enough how much I love it. Love Clive as a character. What he's going through, ah, I just, I can't say it enough, but I can't spend the whole time talking about the story as much as I could. I want to talk to you about the other features of the game. Graphically, this game is absolutely amazing. The graphics are gorgeous. The details are there in character models. The lighting is phenomenal. Not just off of character models within the world, but also within the world itself. Uh, if you follow me on Instagram, you would have seen some posts that I put out the other day of my time going through an area called the Great Wood, which is this just absolutely gorgeous, lush, dense, beautiful forested area with different streams and riverbeds and all kinds of different shades of green for the different colors of leaves from bushes and vines and trees and 
all kinds of different variations of the color green that you could imagine blended perfectly. You have the different flies that are flying around, just the ambience and the environment, the sound effects. Oh, it was just a gorgeous, gorgeous environment. And every environment that I've been in has been like that. The outdoor, more environmental environments, yes, those are the more gorgeous, but that's not to knock the details that are there within the cities that I have been to. Because the details are still there. And those details are in just the way the tables are set or different random items strewn about in, in a, a, a different end that you walk into when you're talking to the different patrons. So there's a ton of great stuff visually to take in here, and especially with the icons and the battles themselves and the different spells that you can use, and all of that is just absolutely amazing. The frame rate does not dip one second. Just like most games now, you can choose between a fidelity mode for graphics or a frame rate for performance, and I chose, like I always do, for fidelity and graphics. Gamers, I have not had this game stutter once on me, and there is a ton that's going on at a given time, especially in some of those more hectic boss fights or icon battles. Oh, man, it is just, it's just visually a feast for the eyes, so you're not going to be disappointed visually. Now, when it comes to the combat that I was talking about, i got to talk about that. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. It's very different than any other Final Fantasy game. And I feel like every Final Fantasy has kind of gotten more action-focused as opposed to RPG-focused with each successive entry. Now, that's not a negative thing on this game. I will say that Clive... So in combat, you don't control a party. You literally control Clive, and you give actions to Torgal, your dog. Other than that... Every other party member that you come across that joins your party, they are AI controlled. Now, I will say for the most part, I've seen they're actually pretty good. They're pretty smart. You don't have to really stay on top of them or they're not really in the way. Or, you know, a lot of times if it's AI party, if it's AI controlled party members, in my experience, a lot of times it'll be where they're just standing there or they don't they're not aggressive enough or as aggressive as I would be if I was controlling all the party members. I haven't really seen that in this game or had that problem. So, so far, me and Torgal being the only ones that I can control, I am perfectly okay with it. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed what the combat offers. It's very, very fast. It is kind of button mashy, but once you learn abilities and you can upgrade those abilities with skill points that you earn based on, you know, your playtime in the world, whether you're doing quests or defeating enemies, that kind of stuff, these abilities are really cool. Usually it's a combination of buttons, you know, press X and square together to do a lunge attack or while in the air, press this button to do this move, that kind of thing. But the coolest thing is the elemental abilities that are tied to the elements that you are currently equipped with. And right now I personally have fire and wind. So for instance, and you can switch between these, which one you want to be in control of at a given time by pressing the uh, L2 button. But to actually use one of those abilities, you press and hold R2, and then whatever face button the ability is designated to, you press that button to use that ability. And then there's a cooldown timer and until you can use it again, which I think is very fair, uh, the, the cooldown itself. Sometimes in some of these RPGs, the cooldown is just like, oh my god, uh, <laughs> insanely unnecessarily long. But I feel like it's it's kind of perfectly timed in this game. And obviously you can get different items or other things that will help you cut away or chip away at that cooldown time. 
So, in general, the combat has, has been just awesome. I mean, there is a, an enemy lock-on and flicking the analog stick to lock-on or to go between different targets, which is, is a big deal for me. If you have listened to me before, you know that I'm very big on enemy lock-on. I will say it's an odd button placement for me for the default uh, controller layout. L1 is what character or enemy lock-on is. And I thought that was kind of odd. But it's not as odd as the controller selection or input for dodge or dash, like to get out of the way. I am so used to 99.9% .9 of the games that I play on PlayStation being circle to dodge. Well, in Final Fantasy, it's R1. So I have been very confused on my muscle memory of trying to break myself of that, that muscle memory of pressing circle to dodge and then ended up setting myself up to get hit because it's R1, not circle in this game. Now, I'm sure you could play around and mess with the controller layout, but I've always been the kind of guy where I'm like, you know what? I want to play it the way that the developer feels that it is best to be played. So if this is the default controller layout, this is probably how they're wanting me to play and experience the game. So I try to, and have done a lot better job by the time, you know, 15 hours now into it that I'm at, I've done a lot better job of moving past pressing circle to dodge. Not saying that it doesn't still happen every now and then, but circle is actually a move that when you have your fire, it's a basically it's a dash forward move to the enemy. So instead of going away, which is what I'm trying to do, I end up going closer to the enemy and therefore getting hit. So the the thing about combat that I don't like though, I got I got to say this is in the boss fights where there is multi leveled boss fights or multiple stages to a boss fight i do like the fact and appreciate that square enix allows you if you die to start off at whatever furthest stage you made it to what i don't like is i feel like they kind of took away some of the challenge because when you reload the checkpoint you start out where you've gotten to but they have now refilled your health and if you've already used all of your items, your healing items, they basically refill your inventory as well. So I don't think that that is a fair advantage to have. I mean, you're, you're starting me off with full health and full inventory. When it, it happened in a boss fight yesterday, I died. I had already used all my health potions. I'm perfectly fine if you start me back off at the checkpoint at that point and stage in the boss fight with no healing items. Because that's where I made it to that point with, as far as my inventory is concerned. Even if you started me off with where my health was at, at that point, I, I just, I felt a little guilty, to be honest with you. The couple times this has happened to me in a boss fight where, okay, well, they've given me all my health back and all my healing items. So it's kind of unfair. Like if you're going to do that, you might as well just start me over from the beginning of the boss fight. So I don't think that that is necessarily the, the right decision from a design standpoint, but it is what it is. I have tried in those scenarios to just not use the healing items and act as if I still don't have them, but I'm not going to lie. There's been times where I'm almost dead again and I'm like, ah, I can't not heal because I'm like, I'm not going to sit here over and over. So it's just, it's one of those things, <sighs> but I got to tell you the music in this game, sound design, voice acting is absolutely phenomenal. The music is phenomenal. The new renditions and, and styles of certain Final Fantasy tunes that have been with us for decades are awesome. The dun da 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 when you win a fight. Oh, man, the way they do it with the this, like, choir kind of sound. Oh, man, it's just awesome. Uh, and then on top of that, just different jingles here or there. They're intertwined with the newer music as you're exploring worlds and things like that. 
So speaking of exploring those worlds, that is probably where it leads me to most of my gripes with the game so far. So I absolutely love this game world, as I said, as far as the richness and history and lore of it all. But the issue that I have with it is as you're exploring up until just recently, just today when I was on my play session earlier, I just now got to a point where the game opens up. And it was about 11 hours into my playtime. So I'm going to put it out there for you gamers. Don't run away if it's not immediately as open as you would like it to be. Just stick with it. Get to about the 30% marker in the story progression tracker on the PlayStation 5. And you'll be in a good spot. Because the environments, everywhere you go... Up to that point, it's extremely linear, and there's not really a whole lot to do. You pick a couple of maybe quick side quests in the hideout hideaway, and that's literally, you're a waiter. Hey, go bring these meals to three different people sitting at the tables. Okay, that was a side quest. Hey, go pick up these two bags that are around the hideaway cave and bring them back to me. Fetch quest kind of stuff. So, obviously, I feel like we've come a long ways in gaming to where fetch quests should not be the side quest default anymore. But let me just say that some of the side quests I've picked up since the game world opened up, they've been a lot better, a little bit more nuanced. But the, the world itself was the big problem, is you're just kind of on this extremely linear path. You're just kind of following the map around, and there's not really much to do. My wife had even complained about the fact there wasn't any wildlife that was really making the world breathe and feel alive to her. And she just felt very confined and restricted of what she could do, where she could go, because you just kind of had to stay on this one path. And it was like, oh my God, there's a treasure chest over there. Let me go. Oh yes, I finally have a chest. Or wait a minute, I can climb this ledge? I can actually do something outside of just going on a straight line? Okay. So that was how the majority of the beginning of the game was. And so, yes, I will say it was disheartening for me, but I still love the story enough to keep going and was having fun with the combat. So if you can do that, I promise you, you'll get to a point where it opens up. And man, I have just thoroughly enjoyed the last three hours of this one area where there's just a lot going on. So case in point, a third of my time that I had played up to today was spent today just in one area. So the game does open up. I want to alleviate any concerns you may have. Now, the other last disappointment I have that I'll share with you is photo mode. Again, gamers, if you listen to my show for a while or at all, you should know by now I am a massive fan of photo mode. Love taking pictures, love finding that perfect angle, the lighting and all the details. Well, I was very excited to get into this game's photo mode because it's Final Fantasy and the game, like I said, looks gorgeous. And man, I could just think of all the cool things I could do. Gamers, this is absolutely the most bare bones photo mode I think I've ever experienced in a major game release. Not to mention a major game release that still put a photo mode in it. I mean, here's the features. You can move the camera in a 360 degree space. You can move it up and down. You can zoom in and out. You can change the blur to on or off. You can change the focus distance. You can take Clive out of the picture, add him back into the picture, and that's it. There's no filters, borders, themes, logos, character poses, emotes. There is absolutely none of that. So there's nothing. I, I Oh, man. It, it was just very disappointing to have this game's photo mode 
be that lackluster. So I was extremely disappointed with the photo mode, but I've still been able to get some pretty decent shots and still been able to get, for the most part, the angles that I wanted and the shots that I did take. So if you're into photo mode, you'd probably be a little disappointed with this game's mode. But that's my time so far, 15 hours into Final Fantasy 16. Hopefully that was informative for you. I thoroughly enjoyed my time in it. I definitely suggest checking it out if you're a fan of the series, if you own a PS5, if you're an RPG fan. Highly, highly recommend this game to give it a shot. And again, can't say it enough, don't get too discouraged if the game seems like it's just going straight through A to B, the main story. It will get to a point where things slow down and the world opens up. So now that we've talked about Final Fantasy 16, let's talk about some other games that I played this past week before its release and see what's inside my captain's log. Gamers, this past week, as I open up my captain's log and look back at everything that I played, the first game that I want to talk to you guys about is an absolute blast from the past and kind of a shocker, especially for those of you that may have been listening to me for a while. You're probably going to be surprised when you hear what I have to say about Cyberpunk 2077. Okay, so maybe I am exaggerating just a little bit. It may not be too crazy to say that I have just been spending five hours over the course of this past week back in the world of Night City and Cyberpunk 2077, considering that we just recently got a awesome-looking trailer for its expansion, Phantom Liberty. So it wasn't just Phantom Liberty that really got me in the mood to play Cyberpunk. I had been wanting to go back to this game for a very long time. And if you're just listening to me for the first time, just know that I got Cyberpunk 2077 when it first came out way back in 2020. It just so happened to come out at the same exact time as Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And gamers, I tried. I really did. I tried to alternate back and forth between the two. You know, hey, this is my night game and this is my morning game. And I, I really tried to balance both of them. But I got to a point where I had dropped about 50 hours into each game. And I felt like I had to make a decision. I had to make a choice between one or the other and just focus. Because I thought about it. I was like, well, if I had only been focusing on one game at this point, of the two, I would have played 100 hours into the one game, potentially beating Cyberpunk and being that much further into Assassin's Creed Valhalla, because if you played that game, I mean, we all know that game. Good Lord. I spent over 200 hours playing that game. Bottom line is, I dropped about 50 hours into Cyberpunk and loved what I was playing. I Honestly, I had a great version of the game. I was playing it on the Series X. I did not have any of the issues that people were complaining about online or any crashes or anything like that, even though my wife did. My wife was playing it at the same time and was loving it, but she had multiple issues and she was also playing it on the Series X. Bottom line is, I made my choice. I did not go back to the game until last February of 22 when they released, finally, CD Projekt Red finally released the next-gen upgrade, the PS5 Series X upgrade to the game. Now, they had promised this essentially from day one and said, hey, we're releasing the game now. It is going to be a better experience, a smoother experience on Series X and PS5 than it is on Xbox One and PS4. Little did we know at the time how massively, <laughs> massively different that was going to end up being. Bottom line is, they had always said they were going to release the upgrade. Well, we finally got it last February, and I was 
kind of pushed into like, all right, man, well, I want to check this out and see if I notice any difference in, you know, performance or graphical fidelity. I did. I only played it for a couple hours, though. It wasn't one of those moments in my gaming time where I was able to put more than just a couple hours into it one night. But that was the last time I played the game. It's February of 22. So we flash forward here almost a year and a half later to June of 23. And I'm just like, you know what, man? Cyberpunk has kind of been on my mind for a while now. I've periodically thought about going back to it. I finally did it, gamers. And in the five hours that I played over the course of this past week, I was thoroughly in love with what I was doing. Now, I don't expect any of you, even if you followed me for this long, and way back to when I was playing Cyberpunk, I don't expect anybody to remember where exactly I was at in that game. So let me just say that where I was at, if you know anything about Cyberpunk, there is a character named Pan Am. And she is a nomad, which is one of the classes, basically, we'll call it, that you can select and choose at the beginning of the game that you want your character to be its origin, basically, your character's origin from. You could do a street kid, or you could do a corpo, or you could do nomad. I chose nomad. I thought it sounded the coolest. You live out in the Badlands, which is kind of like this desert wasteland outside of Night City. So I thought the backstory sounded pretty cool, so that's what I chose. Well, Pan Am is a nomad herself. And I had just gotten to the point where in the main story, you finally get up with her and meet her and start doing her quest line. I'd always read about her, seen her, and heard about how great of a character she was and how cool of a storyline she had that you could play through with her. I never got to fulfill that all that year and a half ago. And even way back in 2020, obviously, when I was really putting some time in, those initial 50 hours. So when I loaded up the game, I had honestly forgotten that that's where I was at was with Pan Am. So I was super stoked to find out that, oh, man, I'm actually going to be able to complete this mission, this quest line with her. I cannot wait to see what happens. Gamers, I was not disappointed. Let me just say out of that five hours, probably about half of that time was going through the different multiple objectives and steps of her quest line. And it was just awesome. I mean, you first meet up with her, I booted up the game, and I'm out there, and I'm talking to her. I meet up with her at this certain spot, and we're at this radio tower that's across from a certain meetup spot of this gang that apparently stole her vehicle. <laughs> and if you know Pan Am, that is not cool. Her vehicle, she's very much a mechanic and big into her car, and just, ah, oh, it, it was that's the wrong move <laughs> when it comes to Pan Am is stealing her car. So bottom line is, you would ask for her help. V, the main character you play as, had asked for Pan Am's help. And she basically said, you help me, I'll help you. So we are here to help get her car back. Well, going through that quest and seeing that play out, that was just awesome. So you get the car back. And then it becomes more about not just the car, but about the gang and the leader who basically gave the command to steal her car. And then there's this whole other subplot going on. It was just an awesome, awesome quest line. I don't want to spell out the quest for you because I don't want to spoil it if you have not played that yet. I want you to experience it as I did. Let me just say, the car rides around the desert, talking to Pan Am and kind of getting to know her, stopping off at the Sunset Motel, I just thought it was awesome. At one point in the quest line, you stop off at the Sunset Motel. You go inside this little diner that's right there in between the rooms. You're talking to Pan Am. You're talking to the bartender. You're getting a little backstory. And you're sitting there and drinking with her, drinking some beer and just, you know, talking. And, you know, you try to get a little uh, a little game going on between you and Pan Am, or at least I did. And that, that just was not happening that night. Bottom line is you go to the motel room and you go to sleep. 
you wake up the next day and you have to meet up with her at midnight. And let me just say the next quest or the next portion of this main quest line was yet again, just pretty awesome. And at the end of it all, man, I am absolutely in love with Pan Am as a character. I think she is just everything she was hyped up to be that I read all this time. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed my time going through that quest line. Now, I will say, I don't know what it was, but the Sunset Motel just really stood out to me and really grabbed me and resonated with me for some reason. I just loved the attention to detail, like the trash and just the different things and the fact that it's this kind of really just low-budget motel out in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, just on the outskirts of Night City. Just aesthetically, visually, it just looked really, really cool. Not to mention, they had an arcade on the second floor, and at that arcade was a game called Roach Race. And if you have played The Witcher, then you know that The Witcher, or Geralt's horse, is named Roach. So in this game, it's a really cool 2D, kind of like a 16-bit side-scrolling, just kind of a platform where you just jump. It's a side-scroller that kind of automatically moves forward or from left to right. And you got to time your jumps properly. And you're collecting different carrots and things like that that add up your score, and you try to get a high score. It may not sound like much, but it was pretty fun. And being a massive fan of The Witcher as I am, I thought it was just really cool and kind of funny. So I made it to stage one, two. And uh, at that point, I probably spent about 10 minutes playing the game. I was ready to get back to the main cyberpunkness of my play sessions. So I had not gone back to it, but man, I got to tell you, it was still a little funny, quirky, nice detour that I didn't expect. So... I spent the rest of my time in the Badlands after finishing up with Pan Am, and there was a few icons that were around there. There were cyber psychos, and these cyber psychos are basically people who have had the different injections and, and cybernetics hooked up to them, and for whatever, one reason or another, it didn't really mesh too well with their brains or their bodies, and they have different reactions than most people, and it's kind of driven them crazy. Well, the idea for Night City PD is to bring them back alive if you can, Unfortunately for me, most of the time, these cyber psychos, they're just pretty aggressive. And I think there's only been a couple I've been able to take back alive. So during my time in the Badlands, there was actually four different cyber psychos in my play session that I was able to go through and take out, one of which I was able to do so non-lethally. So that was a plus. But these cyber psychos always have pretty cool side stories to them and backstories as to what's going on in the area. So I always thoroughly enjoyed doing them. There is also a couple of side gigs and different areas where there's enemies and you stop random crimes for the NCPD, things like that. You get paid for, you get a lot of loot and different items. All of that was really, really fun. I love being able to drive on my motorcycle again. I mean, my character, V, I just feel like he is about riding a motorcycle, not a vehicle or a car, but a motorcycle. And just the radio, the music they have for this game, I don't know. It was just a really, really good time, and I thoroughly enjoyed getting back into Night City, and I really wish that I had more time because I, I want to get back to that game and actually finish it. Because the storyline with Johnny Silverhand and the main story and all the outcome of that stemming from completing the main story with Pan Am, I mean, it was just pretty pretty awesome. And Keanu Reeves obviously is awesome as Johnny Silverhand, and it's just always great to see him pop up on screen and act out those scenes. So I just, I really, really love this game and would love to find it in my gaming time and sessions at some point to finally finish this game. So I thoroughly enjoyed my time at Cyberpunk 2077 this past week. Outside of that, I also was able to find a few more hours to put into Horizon Forbidden West, the Burning Shores expansion. 
Gamers, it's been a few weeks now since I last played any progress in Burning Shores. And I thoroughly have enjoyed what I've played so far. And I just got so wrapped up in trying to try out many different things before I traded my soul over for Final Fantasy 16 that I, I, I really should have probably focused on finishing up the Burning Shores expansion because that was really ultimately my goal to begin with was to finish that after Star Wars Jedi Survivor and before Final Fantasy 16. Well, unfortunately, I'm here to tell you I was not able to complete that. I did obviously play Amnesia the Bunker and Diablo 4 and obviously Cyberpunk 2077 that I just talked about. So my choices have led me to not be able to complete it, but I still wanted to share with you the four hours that I was able to put into it over these last couple of weeks since last sharing progress with you. And just let you know that, I mean, it was another amazing four hours. And by the end of it, I was like, man, I really probably should have just stuck with this first and then started playing around and trying out, playing different things. Because I really want to see this to its conclusion. Even if I don't get all the trophies before Final Fantasy 16, at least finish the story. Because it just it's at the climax right now, gamers. I'm literally right there at the end of it. And I'm going to have to end up just going back to it after I get through the hype train of Final Fantasy 16, take a break for a day or two and finish up Horizon because, man, this stuff is some good stuff. And it's not even just the main story, to be honest with you, this four hours. Uh, yes, it was a main story quest that was my favorite hour and a half of that four hours that I spent. But, man, it wasn't even the story part of it. It was the exploration and the environment that you were exploring. It's this place called Pangea Park. And I don't want to go into too much detail. I don't want to have any spoilers or anything. But let's just say that Pangea Park is uh, uh, almost like a Jurassic Park, but not real live dinosaurs, if that makes sense. It's an amusement park. But there's just so many different cool areas to go to. And you're exploring this park that's been overtaken by time and foliage. And, you know, you get to explore the gift shops and different shooting galleries and attractions that are out in the actual grounds of the park itself and there's data points that you can read and you listen to audio data points and all kinds of different things that you get to experience of the people that used to either work there create the park or just attend as guests and i thoroughly thoroughly loved it i mean just the visuals of it were awesome i, I couldn't get enough of it i had some really cool photos i had to take while i was there i mean it was just an amazing time. It was everything that I looked for in a game and it was all wrapped up in just this one area. Oh man, I could not get enough of it. And there's a really cool collectible uh, side quest in the game where you're looking for these five different figurines. And they're basically five different dinosaur figurines that are uh, collectibles from the past. And they are eh, multiple places throughout the game world, but you also find some here and the purpose behind them here in this Pangea Park and I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know. They just, uh, man, the developers really did a, a gorilla. I mean, they just really did a lot of cool stuff with this Burning Shores expansion. And this specific location has just really been awesome. I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. So outside of that hour and a half, I mean, there is another obviously two and a half hours that I spent playing the game. Most of that was spent really kind of exploring certain areas that I had not gotten to yet, defogging the map. There was a new side quest that I accepted and did. I also took time to really just kind of focus in on, hey, for this expansion, what are the new outfits? What are the new weapons? What can I buy with what I have 
right now in my inventory? What can I upgrade? Let me just try to really lose myself to what they have on offer that's new just for this Burning Shores expansion. So I did that for a little while. I was kind of shocked at myself. I had not used any of my ability points for a while, apparently, because I had 18 sitting there. So I chose different upgrades to abilities that I already had or purchased new upgrades with those 18 ability points. And outside of all of this, I really got to try and experiment some of the new features for Burning Shores. I finally got on the back of a water wing and was able to dive bomb into and under the water and the ocean and dive right back out. Honestly, it feels and looks just really, really cool when you're able to do it. And I mean, you only have a few seconds that you can be underwater before you got to burst out of the surface again. But I don't know. It was just, it was really, really cool. It was a cool feeling. It looked cool. So I really enjoyed that. And then there is one of the new abilities where you can, if you knock an enemy down and they are you know, subdued for a few seconds, then you can basically double tap X. Once you jump in the air, the icon will pop up on the machine, press X again, and Aloy will grapple over to the machine. And if you time pressing R1 correctly, she will do this pretty uh, powerful strike on the machine. So that was a pretty cool animation and pretty cool trick or move that I like that they've added to this game as well. Some of the new weapons they've added I thought were really cool. And I don't know, I just at the end of the day, I've thoroughly enjoyed what Gorilla has offered in this Burning Shores expansion. So that's really what I've been up to this past week gaming wise. But out of all that, what would I say is my highlight of the week? Gamers, this past week, there were three RPG, either direct genre or a sub-genre of games that I played across Cyberpunk Horizon and Final Fantasy 16. And there was, honestly, in all three of them, just awesome moment after awesome moment. I gotta say, though, my absolute highlight of this past week has to be just absolutely handing over my soul to Final Fantasy 16. You know, I've said it before. I was like, oh, you know, June 22nd, I'm going to be trading in my soul for Final Fantasy. And I have just literally felt that into the game. I've loved a lot of games that I've played recently, but this story and these characters and something about the music and the gameplay and the world itself and the history that's there, I just, I am just in pure euphoria. So it's not one specific thing really about Final Fantasy 16. It's just the game as a whole, just my experience playing it over the last three days has just been absolutely phenomenal and a testament to how great the game is, in my opinion, because as awesome as some of the moments were that I had in Cyberpunk and Horizon, I mean, just, man, they, they could not top the pure elation that I had when I was playing Final Fantasy 16. Well, gamers... Before I move on, I want to say this next segment, I have to give you an update on one of my most recent Platinum Pursuits. If you've been following the show recently, you'll know that Star Wars Jedi Survivor was my most recent claim to a Platinum Pursuit. If you have no idea what I mean when I say Platinum Pursuit, though, basically, I will say on the show, listeners, I am absolutely going after the Platinum in this game 
and I will keep you updated. I will let you know when I do it. And that's what I did with Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Unfortunately, because of patch five, I was held up on getting the platinum. I had mentioned that in a previous episode as well. It prevented me from finishing the Bounty Hunters quest line, which was tied into two trophies, therefore the platinum. Well, this past week, finally, Respawn Entertainment released a patch six, which fixed this issue. So I was able to go back and, and honestly, just barely an hour, go through the rest of what I had in that quest line, finish it up, get those last two trophies, and then that absolutely sweet, sweet platinum. So there it is. Platinum number 13 for me. Hopefully not unlucky number 13. But next up, it's that time of month, gamers, where it's time to fill you in on my updated progress and my trophy level and gamer score quest goals. First up, let's see what I did in trophy level progress. Gamers, if this is your first time hearing my trophy level progress, basically what I do is every month I give myself a trophy level goal to meet by the end of the next month. So, for instance, at the end of May, I gave myself a trophy level goal of reaching trophy level 237 by the end of this month of June. Now, at the time that I gave myself that goal, I had a trophy level of 235 and I was 90% towards trophy level 236. So, over the past month, I did unlock 15 bronze trophies, two silver, one gold, and one of those beautiful platinums for Star Wars Jedi Survivor. But was that enough to get me to trophy level 237? Gamers, it was. I am actually at trophy level 237 and 90% to 238. So literally exactly two levels from 235.90 to 237.90. So I thought that was pretty cool. So pretty excited about so i'm right there at trophy level 238 obviously i'm not going to make that my goal for next month what i would like to do is actually stretch it a little bit and give myself a goal of trophy level 240 by the end of july i feel like if i'm able to stick with what my game plan is which is finish up final fantasy get as many trophies as possible finish up horizon forbidden west burning shores play through and finish up hogwarts legacy i feel like that should be enough between those three experiences to get to trophy level 240 check back next month and find out though now, next, let's see how I fared this past month in my gamer score quest. Gamers, believe it or not, this past month was a very active month for me on my Xbox. I typically choose my PlayStation 5 as my predominant console of choice with multi-platform games and whatnot. So being that's the case, I usually don't reach my gamer score quest goals. But with the extra love I showed it this past month, was it enough to reach my goal? Well, that goal that I had given for myself at the end of May, by the end of June, was to reach a gamer score of 295,000. At the point that I gave myself that goal at the end of May, my gamer score was currently 294,292. So I needed a sweet 708 gamer score in order to crack 295. Did I do it? Well, over the past month, I did unlock 39 achievements, totaling 830 gamer score. So if you did the math, 
I reached my GamerScore Quest goal for the month, which is absolutely amazing. My GamerScore is currently 295,122. I'm giving myself a goal next month, by the end of July, to reach 296. So it's a little bit more than what I was getting or supposed to get this past month, a little bit close in line with what I ended up with this month. I don't know. With the goals that I just said that I wanted to do on the three games I'm playing on PlayStation over the course of the next month, I don't know if I'll have a whole lot of time on the Xbox. You never know, though. I honestly would have never believed if you had told me last month that I was going to play Cyberpunk again, some more Sonic. I, I, I wouldn't have believed it. So, every month is honestly a mystery. So check back next month, see if I was able to do it, what surprises may come for me over the course of the next 30 days or so. Next up, now let's go see what some buried treasure gaming tips I have for you are in Final Fantasy 16. Gamers, honestly, as I sat here trying to figure out what kind of tips could I share with you for Final Fantasy 16, I, I really kind of struggled because it's not a discredit to the game, but it is a very straightforward game. There's not, at least in my experience so far, there hasn't been a whole lot of situations where I've been like, hmm, you know what? Let me try this out. Or aha moments where it's like, man, that's kind of thinking outside the box. I'm going to use that. But I just kind of want to give some basic tips here. I will recommend to always check in every time you go back to the hide hideaway. Always check in with the blacksmith because there's always going to be, at least so far, there's always been something new to either upgrade for your equipment, your weapons, or to purchase as well from the shops. So I would always say... Definitely check those out every time you come back to the hide hideaway. Outside of these basic recommendations, the only other real thing I can think of is when it comes to spending your ability points to upgrade your abilities, I, in my personal opinion, I would say kind of spread it out. Only really focus on what you actually use because sometimes if you're like me, you kind of like, oh, well, I want to own every ability, but be practical about it, I would say, is what really find what suits you best in your combat scenario. And then at that point, you only really need to upgrade one more time to master most abilities. So at that point, I would say go ahead and master the abilities you use most. Now, for me, I would say it's highly recommended to save up for that first massive icon ability that is the Phoenix, where you actually have Clive transform into the Phoenix a little bit. And he, he kind of semi-primes is what they call it, transforming into part of the icon that you are dominant of. And basically, he does massive damage to not only big groups of enemies, but also if it's a singular enemy like a boss, it'll deal a lot of damage and also replenish some of your health. So these are things to take into consideration. I know they're kind of basic and straightforward, and you probably will do them anyways, but I really wanted to share something Final Fantasy related, and these are some things that I thought that helped me out on my journey so far. So now let's go check out this week's Captain's Decree. Gamers this week, looking back at Final Fantasy 16, as far as my captain's decree is concerned, I want to ask the question and then give my personal opinion. Was it the right move to bring Final Fantasy into a Game of Thrones style of story? So for me, I think given what I've said to you earlier in the episode about how much I love this story and these characters and how much they're resonating with me, for me personally, I think it was absolutely the right move. You know, at the end of the day, I see people online kind of complaining about it or you know, it's very kind of divided is what it seems to me. The 
interpretation or the, the reception of this story and its mature or darker story. And, you know, a lot of people look at Final Fantasy and I get it, you know, it's, it's fantasy is supposed to be fun and whimsical. And I, I really, I would debate that by asking you to look back at the storyline of Final Fantasy seven, Final Fantasy eight. It may not be as bloody or graphic as Final Fantasy 16 is, but a lot of the story beats that are in these games are, are pretty dark and pretty tough to deal with. You know, Cloud and his cloning aspects and just the, the differences between the struggles he has dealing with his memory and Sephiroth and that bond the two of them share and why they share it and just the world itself. I, there's just a lot there. And if you played the game, you know what I'm talking about. If you know the story, it's just there's a lot of depth there and a lot of, a lot of deeper stuff. The same thing I think can be said for Final Fantasy VIII and just the, the deeper story between Squall and Renoa and just a lot of stuff. So bottom line is, it's not obviously the first Final Fantasy game, Final Fantasy XVI that is, to have darker undertones or a more serious and mature storyline or story subplots. But it is the first one to really put it out there and, and drop F-bombs and you know have... Uh, basically anybody is fair game to die in this game. And that's one article I had seen where a person said they actually stopped playing the game for a minute because uh, of a certain character that dies. And I'm just like, wow, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a good thing to have these characters resonate with us. And, you know, there's a certain expectation level for what a final fantasy is supposed to be. I get that. As I stated at the beginning of the episode, I've been a fan of the series for the better part of 25 years now. So I, I really do feel like, I do have some kind of credibility here. Um, I think the fact that the storyline has been so divisive is just a testament to how good it is, though, in my opinion. Because if it wasn't a good story, if it wasn't executed well, I don't think that there would be anybody talking about it. But the fact that it's so good and that it is causing these different emotions in people, I think that's a positive thing. And, you know, I, I think it's a nice break from what we are used to with Final Fantasy as far as the characters and the storylines and certain things that are, oh, well, you know, Final Fantasy doesn't do that. I, I think it's a good thing in any medium when you can break the mold and break the expectations or assumptions of what something is going to be. So in this situation, do I think that it was the right move for Square Enix to move Final Fantasy into the Game of Thrones style territory? I absolutely do. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as searching for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks. You can also find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming and on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.